0: Now, here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Tell me about, the in the research, an unidentified or identified piece of wreckage from something. What was that?
1: Yeah, that was, um, I mean, underlying this book, you know, the reason why we're able to sort of do some of this is that we read a, an existing book that was published in 2002, which is called Alcharinga, When the First Ancestors Were Created, and in that book... There is the recollections of about 30 different people's past life memories, as well as experiences the author had with an artifact, which was communicating with her, telling her that it was connected to an alien society, and that wanted to reveal a lost history of alien contact. Now, those are very weird things in and of themselves, but what we decided to do was to, to look to see if the story in that book was true. And one of the claims in there was of a, a giant crystalline spacecraft right, arriving to Earth, um, carrying these, these beings from the Pleiades and that they then you know, modified humans. So this, this is why we're able to kind of do this. And one of the things that he describes is obviously this craft arrives, but then is blown up. There's a betrayal. There are beings already on this planet who are supposed to be giving the planet back, and they are a reptilian race that live underground, which will be familiar to, again, to readers. That comes up in a lot of places. Uh, and that this ship, though, is, is, is not only blown up, it's crystalline, it melts, right? And this is really important because it fractures to pieces, melts, and pieces rain down across the planet. Jeez. That's the way it's described, okay? And this is fifty thousand beings on, on on a kilometer wide ship. So we're talking of a mormon. Well, it's, it's a
0: city. It's a flying a city. city.
1: Yeah. Absolutely, a flying city. The idea is that they've come to colonize, the planet's supposed to be handed over to them, the reptilians are illegally here. There's again more exopolitics going on. Uh, and that they have agreed to hand it back, and there's a last-minute betrayal. So this is an unarmed, you know, a colony ship. These beings, some of them survived. A few small ships, what I found three small ships come down in Australia near to Gosford, which, where the Gosford glyphs are, which people may know, these Egyptian hieroglyphs in, in Australia, uh, at this site. And basically what we decided is, we, well, hang on a minute, you know, if this is a real event, then perhaps, you know, hope beyond hope, some of the material from this giant craft May have survived, right? So I thought, well, if we're looking for. We we know we need to find some sort of melted quartz crystal type material. That's the way the ship's described. Um, and so, like, like, I thought, well, I'll try and find out. You know, is it possible it's out there? And I, I couldn't believe it, George. I really couldn't believe it. But I stumbled on the material. Uh, it turns out that it clusters mainly in South Australia, which is no surprise because the site of Gosford where these crafts are said to have come down is also in South Australia. Uh, And what it is is a material that's 80%, about 80% melted quartz crystal that has rained down. Uh, There's a scientific mystery, and this this is a totally anomalous substance. And the reason for that is because it only occurs once in the history of our entire planet. So that's the first red flag. Uh, And the next one is that the scientists... For the last hundred years, they've been trying to work out how this stuff formed. And the reason for that is because they know that some of it has traveled down from space because it has a very distinctive shape called a, um, it's like a tektite button. And tektites are, are melted, like sort of melted material, usually from comet impacts. There's only five strewn fields in the planet, so they're rare anyway. But this one is unique because they said the material, it appears, and a NASA study says the material seems to have been superheated, turned into a liquid, then froze into spheres, right? The first thing I thought is, well, there's only one place where liquid turns into a sphere, and that's space. That's right. uh, and the only place yeah. I know of cold enough to freeze liquid glass instantly is space. So, and then this material came down, and it melted going through the atmosphere and formed these unique shapes that looked like the landers from NASA rockets, the old, um, you know, the ones back in the sort of 60s and 70s, These the, the, the front part of the crotch. If you imagine that, it's also UFO almost shaped object uh, that these things then rain down onto the ground and the thing is the dating is 780,000 years ago So I'm looking at it thinking you know this is insane you know I can't really be looking at the remnants of a crystalline ship blown up over Australia exactly as described in these past life memories Um, and that there's a genuine scientific mystery you know an anomaly where even NASA have failed to come to a conclusion of how this material formed. Because how do you have a comet that hits, throws material back up into space, you know, up to 60 miles odd into space, and then it comes back down again, and also it would have to be liquid when it was in space to form these spheres. So there's been this head-scratching by leading academics for decades. Uh, and I looked and I thought, well, if it was a kilometer-sized, and as you say, a kilometer-sized object is what they think is responsible for this material. And the only way to explain it is, is a crystalline object exploding in space, and then these spheres raining down across Australia. So it was that, that crazy, you know, to actually sort of think, oh my God, this is the wreckage as described. And so, yeah, we've literally identified that. And it matches the date of the modification of the humans at 780,000 years ago with these first proto-homo sapiens splitting away from or is probably Homo erectus, along with Neanderthals and Denisovans. So there was a hand-in-glove fit between the two events, and they're, they're both total anomalies. So it's incredible.
0: Bruce, what do you think the motivation was for coming here? To genetically alter us, to create us? What, what was their motivation?
1: Right, the described motivation is that, first of all, that this planet is said to be a living library, that the genetic code here, of the DNA we have, contains the code for hundreds of alien species, many of them advanced intelligences, that this planet was seeded originally with DNA, which is an advanced terraforming technology, which you can drop on a planet and we'll turn it, give it a biosphere, give it life, right? And so these other beings these not-so-nice ones, we call the reptilians, the draco, all these other ones that a lot of people assume are just a fantasy, but um, they came, they realized that, hey, we want some of this, and they took over the living library uh, and then began to use the code to make all kinds of things that they wanted to make uh, after a long period. And this is, you know, as described, the first humans, like, you know, five million years ago, these kind of very basic hominins uh, like Homo habilis are said to be made by these reptilians. The Pleiadian group, which is an alliance of many different worlds, they don't live in the Pleiades. There's just a stargate there. They come through and say, "Look, you know, uh, you have to leave. You know, there's been a negotiation process. You know, your leadership agreeing that you're going to hand back the Living Library to, you know, Alliance forces." Uh, And the way it's explained in this other book is that there is a betrayal. Uh, where this another group basically says to the director, you know, don't do it, just blow the ship up, and kind of interferes. Uh, and so there's this betrayal. But initially they are just coming to take back their living library. And then once that goes completely wrong, the few survivors realize, well, what can we do? We can't colonize the planet. We've lost all our equipment. Uh, we don't have the technology to survive long term. You know, they, they can hardly breathe. They, they can't really drink, eat most of the food, drink the water. All the logical things you'd think for an alien being trapped on, on another world. They have all those problems they decide instead they will change the course of this planet by melding some of their material with these early hominins and modifying their genes of these early hominins to create a light imbued creature which can then carry on the process of turning this back into a kind of an alliance uh, positive world. And also because they feel sorry, they do feel sort of sorry for the fact that the hominins have been used as slavery and they've also been used as sacrifices to these trans-dimensional Draco beings, who supposedly are these gods of these reptilians, so it, it's a very bizarre story, but it does seem to be matching what we find in the in the genetics and in the physical evidence that yeah, it's... so they didn't really come to do this. This is like the backup plan.
0: Could these be the fallen angels that we read about in Genesis?
1: The Draco would be absolutely. They are described as um, beings that eat the energy or the consciousness of other living beings. I mean, so I can't think of anything more um, demonic sounding than that. Um, And interestingly, if anyone's ever read Graham Hancock's book, Entangled, which is one of his um, fiction books, uh, as he claims in the beginning of that, anyone who's familiar with it knows that he says he got that information from an ayahuasca session, Okay, and that the book almost came fully formed from ayahuasca. And the interesting thing about that is you look in it, there's a blue lady, and the blue... People are the Plydean, uh, one of the Plataean groups that we work They're the ones that have communicated with us. And they they have in there, he has a character, Sulpa, which is a reptilian, crocodile-faced, demonic creature, which takes human form some of the time to mislead people. And then it comes out of its body and consumes the souls of dead people. Uh, and this is given to him from Ayahuasca. And this is exactly what... Um, is described basically in this other book, which is from 2002, long before his work, uh, saying the same thing, that these other Draco are a crocodile-faced beings that are transdimensional and that eat the souls of people, and that they have been at war with the Pleiadian Alliance for a very long time, uh, and that they created the reptilians who consider them to be their gods. So there's a, yes, an absolute correlation. And I would say that some of the Pleiadian Alliance beings are also sometimes mistakenly, including the angel, Category. I mean, I'm sure there, to me, I would say there are higher beings which are truly angelic, but there's also aliens that have been very helpful and that are sometimes included in that pantheon of angels, you know. And on the flip side, you've got these, you know, these Draco, who I would personally consider to be demonic. I would say the tall greys. They they
0: sound devilish.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And when you read about, you know, the descriptions in biblical text, you know, usually is a, a kind of dragon or reptilian or serpent-type description, and not just in biblical text. You know, you find that in the, you know, the Sumerian, you find that uh, among, you know, in the, Afri- some the old African tradition. It's a, it's a kind of a global tradition that there are demonic, reptilian-type entities that feed on people. Um, and, and that is really a uh, universal, and so that is actually part of the story. It's very well explained, actually. When you start to to put these pieces together, you see, yeah, this is actually it makes sense. And the reason why the Plutians are kind of interested here is that they are essentially pushing back the uh, these demonic kind of forces of the, the Draco and their creations, and so this world is being taken back into like Plutian alliance control, which is an alliance of many, many beings that uh, all coming from a wormhole in the Pleiades star cluster, and I want to sort of clarify that because people often assume that the Pleiadians live in the Pleiades. They don't live in the Pleiades, uh, these are many different types of beings that just come here via that Pleiades
0: gateway. It's an amazing possibility, and uh, many cultures and civilizations kind of hint that these things did happen, Bruce, don't absolutely. they?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at, say, the Cree, um, they have a, a story, they say that if you look up at the sky that if you look at the Pleiades, that is the center of a spider's web, and that in, that in that area is where their ancestors live, and that once upon a time a strand of web came down from there, from the Pleiades, to Earth. Now, if that doesn't sound like a wormhole connecting to a big web of wormholes, I don't know what it does. You know, and then that story of the Pleiades being ancestors is among the Maya, uh, the ancient Japanese, uh, the Indonesians, the Australian Aboriginals. I mean, if you go around the world and find out which star systems come up the most. The the number one is the Pleiades. Number two will be Hmm. Orion, which is where these other reptilians seem to come from, uh, and then perhaps Sirius. But I mean, really, there's an enormous focus on the Pleiades globally, and and often in the context of ancestors.
0: Is there still a globalization program underway where they're trying to grab as many hybrids as they can get?
1: There is still a program underway, and in my understanding, what we have, in fact, is ongoing contact, firstly with this Pleiadian alliance but it's a bit unrecognizable to most people because if you're not one of those that experience paranormal phenomena or contact or UFOs, you, know, you might just think all of this is just you know, nonsense or something. But obviously there's thousands of people that are having contact. And in many cases, they are beings that are either you know, or as I say, that alliance, who have made it quite clear that they are interested in helping us. But unfortunately, our leadership is working with the opposite side, with these Orion beings, uh, and seem very much you know, interested in receiving the technologies, and, you know, and that's put us in a really precarious position, from my understanding.
0: What did we have to give up for that kind of relationship?
1: Well, absolutely. You know, I, I think that we've had to basically walk into a situation where we're almost, you know, food for the Draco, and, you know... <laughs> oh, great. And in a, in a terrible position, because the beings that want to help us, if they try to do anything along the lines of, say, a landing on the White House lawn or anything at all, they look like they're invading. It will be spun as that they are invading and that therefore there'll be open conflict that them, you know, the leadership and their allies will be able to say, well, look, these are the invaders. So they're in this position where they are nearby. But they cannot directly come and intercede until we remove this relationship with these other beings, which is the problem that we have right now is that, yeah, all these black projects are not working with the right side. And we're in a, a terribly vulnerable position until we throw them out and ask for the, you know, the good guys to form a direct relationship with us.
0: Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.